0: Tinakoto, no mai, hi ramai. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Walk in the Shadowlands podcast. Let me be your guide as we take a walk into the realms of the unexplained, of the paranormal, of things that go bump in the night and haunt your dreams. Your host. I'm Marianne, thanks so much for joining me today, tonight Whatever time it is, wherever you're living in this beautiful world of ours Sit back, relax, let me be your guide As we walk into the Shadowlands together And see what awaits us there Welcome back everyone and a special welcome to any new listeners. This is the second part of my conversation with some of the members of the Murphy family and their very traumatic and terrifying haunting in their home when they were growing up. Last episode I talked with Clara, the mum, and Sean, Jenny, and Marion. This episode was recorded on a different day with Sean and another of his nieces, Natalia. Natalia. If you haven't listened to the previous episode, then I suggest that you do. It's around two hours long and tells of their experiences in the home and how Nat came to live there following her mum's suicide. In it, we also talk about both tragic suicides. Again, I give a trigger warning that we will be talking about Laura Laurie, as her family called her, and her suicide in this episode as well. Because of commitments and timing issues, I was unable to talk with John, who experienced some of the most horrific events. So for this episode, Sean has given me permission to use some of the clips he uploaded to his blog, seanpaulmurphyville.blogspot.com, about these experiences. I've inserted these inappropriate places in the episode. In a couple of them, I've used snippets of the text, from Sean's blog because they were appropriate to what we were talking about at that time and there was no audio clip of them available. Those inserts are spoken by myself, identifying John. Oh, I always forgot... As I was editing this episode, I discovered, to my surprise, a Class A EVP. For those who don't know what an EVP is, it stands for Electronic Voice Phenomena, and it happens when a spirit is able to project their voice onto a digital, these days, or old analogue recording device. In my very first season of this podcast, I did do an episode on EVP, For those who want to know more about it, it's linked on this episode's page on the podcast website www.walkintheshadowlands.com or simply look for EVP Season 1 on any podcast platform if you want to hear it. Class A means it's the best you can get as clear, or in this case, clearer than a living person speaking with no editing to the speech going to be. So around 55 to 56 minutes in. Listen for that. And it's in response to what Nat is saying it comes immediately after her talking. It most definitely is not me and certainly is not Nat or Sean. There is just one word spoken, but it's clearer than me. Or oh, Nat, very clear indeed. And I admit it took me by surprise. Email me at shadowlands at yahoo dot com and let me know what you think it says. You may hear something completely different in a different language, or it could simply be in English. I sent this clip to the family when I discovered it and asked Sean if I should keep it in or remove it. Sean asked that it be left. So there's a little extra treat for you all. Finally, before we begin, I want to tell you a little about Sean and his background. I came across Sean quite by accident and had discovered he had written a fiction book based on the terrifying experiences his family had living in a haunted home. This immediately caught my attention and being the curious person I am, I wanted to hear of his experiences firsthand. So I contacted him and I'm very delighted to say these two episodes were the result. I was thrilled when he specifically asked if I would like to speak to other family members as well. It's wonderful to get different perspectives on an event. I feel it gives a rounder, fuller viewpoint. Sean Paul Murphy is an author, an award-winning screenwriter, and an editor. He's written 14 produced motion pictures and written two published books. His memoir, The Promise, All the Pros and Cons of Talking with God, and his fiction book, based on the experiences we cover in these two episodes, Chapel Street. Both of these books were published by Touchpoint Press. He is known for the following movies, The Encounter in 2010, Marriage Retreat 2011, and Revelation Road, The Black Rider 2014. He has been married to Deborah L. Murphy since September 2000. So, without further ado, are you willing to walk with me back into this part of the Shadowlands and continue our journey there? Then let's begin! before, but Natalia was unable to be with us due to work commitments, so she's kindly agreed to come in and talk with us now about her uh, experiences in the home. So maybe, Sean, if you could tell us perhaps how it is that Natalia came to, to live in the home, if that's okay. Is that okay, Natalia? Mm-hmm.
1: Okay, that's, that's great. Um, Natalie is my niece, Natalia. Um, She's the the daughter of my late sister, Laura. Um, Laurie moved into the house with the rest of the family in 1974 and left when she married um, Natalia's father, Frank. And um, sadly, she took her own life in 1994. Afterwards, uh, Natalia moved in with her. um, They left the house where my sister died. She lived with her paternal um grandmother for a while and her father then she shifted she lived temporarily at my grandmother's house then she moved in back with her my, with with her grandmother's my mother's house this would be the house on saint helens avenue and then she moved and then she moved with her father then she moved back for a number of years at saint helens avenue um until um you weren't there to the end until um for quite a few years, until the, at least the end of the '90s or the early 2000s, and in a way, she represents the third generation of our family to live in St. Helen's Avenue, Marianne. Because you had my mother on; she'd be first generation. Right. I'd be second generation, and Natalia would be the third generation.
0: Right. And
1: um, she lived in the uh, master bedroom, which was adjacent to the um, to the uh, three connected closets, which were the center of the haunting. In fact, her uh, bedroom door for a while was right up against the door of the closet. And she's had a very active series of um, events at the house, um, a lot of which I didn't know until I did start doing the interviews for my uh, blog. And then she left out some stuff, too, because I said, so what were some of the strange things that happened? And she left out stuff that happened every day, (laughs) which most people would consider strange. Unless you, twenty one Saint Helens Avenue, in which case these things are a daily occurrence that you get used to. So she was. So when I interviewed her, she mainly talked about the, um, the more some of the more extreme and isolated incidents.
0: Right. Oh, thank you so much for that, Sean, and and thank you for introducing us. And Natalia, I'm so sorry about the loss of your mum, Han. I just, honestly, I just cannot imagine how difficult that was for you can you perhaps tell us how old you were when you first came to live at your grandmother's house
2: let's see uh, I by the time I actually physically lived there I was 12 um, that was the first time I actually moved in that was when my mom died um, and so we moved out of our house and into my grandmother's house with her um, but we spent so much time there. I mean, it felt like we practically it was like a second home does, yeah.
0: I was just gonna say, obviously isn't the first time you've been there. So when you visited previously, like just for visits before your mum passed, did you experience anything in those times, and were those times okay because you were just coming and going
2: There were like I wouldn't say I saw things or heard things. there were just events that would happen once i got older and looked back at them it really made you think uh, one thing that always stuck out to me was a game that myself and my two younger cousins would play and we you know kids play hide and seek and we would yes. play hide and seek one of us would always end up on the landing to the second floor it was like the very first like four-year landing we would be laying there and we'd have like a blanket over our head and it was like, like, that's so odd to do. Like that's not really a hiding spot. And none of us really knew why we did it. We would just lay there and just like pretend like we're sleeping or something and then come to find out, I mean, it's still up in the air whether it's true or not, but later we found out that the previous owner had died or at least was close to her death on that whole landing for an unknown amount of time. So as I got older, finding that stuff out, I was like, what happened? Oh, that's very
0: interesting, isn't it? So, and, and you kids laying down like that, you were like reflecting what she was doing at that spot.
2: Wow. Yes, yeah, so and we had no idea, because we were little at that time, that any of that stuff had happened. Um, and, but there would be times, there were so many people that lived in our house, that I don't know whether I saw people that were actually there, or people that... We're not there, but there.
0: <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah, it was a pretty busy house, wasn't it? Lots of people. So so really, uh, aside from playing the games with your cousins, you didn't really, until you moved into the home permanently, have any experiences to speak of.
2: Exactly. I, they didn't become as prominent to know that they weren't normal occurrences until I actually moved in and experienced life there.
1: Right. Well, I would like to say about the uh, the landing on the stairs. Um, when we moved into the house, the neighbors um, the neighbors said that the um, previous owner, uh, Miriam Mayford, died on that landing, that she had come down the stairs and died on that landing. And that's what I was always you know thought to believe. When I eventually got her death certificate well, when I was researching things for my blog, it said she died at the a hospital. However, recently, about right before COVID started, I was at a neighborhood funeral of one of the local matriarchs, beloved matriarchs in our na- old neighborhood, and a number of the people there were, my old, were, new, you know, were in that street before us, and they categorically said that she died in that house. She did not die at the hospital. She died on that landing. So wow. um, well, I guess the reconciliation of the two things is that she probably wasn't of de- officially declared dead. Until they um, until they took her to the hospital,
0: yeah, that's probably. And they only uh, had
1: probable cause of death too. They didn't even they didn't even really give a cause of death.
0: Really? Only probable? Oh,
1: interesting. Yeah, it's- probable pulmonary embolism is what they said. So that was her cause of death, you know. So um, yeah, so that flight of stairs is seems to be um, apparently the mailman spotted her. Lying on, the, um, lying on the landing from the outside. Big glass door on the front door and saw her.
0: Wow. And then oh, they
1: entered through the, um, apparently entered our house. On that landing, there's a big stained glass window. And apparently the firemen put a ladder up and they entered through that stained, opened up that stained glass window and got into the house. You know, wow. I guess it wasn't locked and the door probably was.
0: Right. Wow. It's kind of safe.
1: I did want to bring up at that, that point that um, you know I'd always heard that that rumor, and then I saw the death certificate, wondered about it, but the neighbors who were there at the time said she definitely died in the house.
0: Okay, uh, cool, cool. Can I call you Net, or or do you want that's me? fine? Okay, I just feel like I'm tripping tripping over your full name, and I feel like I keep mispronouncing it. So, how soon after you moved in there did you begin to expect? experienced things and what was your first experience in the home
2: I would say it, it could have been a month after I moved in that I probably started experiencing things
0: John as a young kid I don't know early memories that was always kind of something coming up the steps behind you Something kind of creepy in the corner watching you at night, type thing. It's hard to say. I would say early mid 80s. I mean, I was probably nine or ten. I mean, it's hard to say, you know, childhood memories are. It's hard to say when all that stuff starts. It was just kind of a feeling, kind of for me, that there was just kind of something following you up the steps. Something like you wanted to run into your room and lock the door at night. I always thought that was kind of weird. I always locked my bedroom door when I lived in that house. I don't know. Things that now would probably say are like shadow people type stuff. Just maybe not a full form or full figure. But almost like a cloak type person standing. Like six or eight feet away from you across the room. Not quite in the corner. You could tell they were out in the... It wasn't like a shadow in the corner. It was kind of three-dimensional.
2: There's always some weirdness about being there. Yeah. Uh, when I, before I lived there, you know, my cousins and I, would only play on the first floor. We would never go up to the second floor or even the third floor. A, because that was all the bedrooms and we didn't have any reason to go in there. And B, it really freaked us out. Ah. So we just never went up there. So when I moved it up, when I finally moved in, it was just so awkward to be like up in the place that like we didn't go that much. It was so weird being there and it just didn't feel right. Mm. You know, as a kid, you can't really put in the words what it is that you're experiencing. You just know something's not right. Mm. So when I initially moved in, I moved into probably the larger or the master room with my grandmother. So she had her bed in there. She bought a day bed and she put it in there too. And so the way the day bed was positioned, the foot my feet would be at the main door to the room and then right behind my head was the closet uh the bedroom closet door and then right next to that was like a it was like a french door that went out into a, a sun porch so right off the bat that that closet was always the place that always freaked everybody out it just didn't sit right i mean it would always be kind of cracked it would always be like at least two inches open And it would just be darkness in there. And you're just like, something's got to be looking at me. So right off the bat, those things would happen. But one prominent situation uh, was one morning, my grandmother was getting up to take me to school. Um, And it was, had to have been winter time. It was dark when we got up. And so she wakes up and her bed, when I wake up, her bed would be right in front of my eyes because the room's not that big, but it would be Right. right there. She woke up and turned on her nightstand light, and got up to go open the bedroom door. Well, she had been by the bedroom door. I saw her at my feet. And as soon as I opened my eyes, there was a face right in my face. But it was like upside down. It was almost like if someone was coming from the closet, leaning their head over and looking almost nose to nose with me. And I just opened my eyes and I froze. And I was like, Grandma, what is that? And I didn't say... I didn't say what it was. I didn't say what it looked like. She just said, close your eyes and it will go away. And that's all she said. I don't know if she ever remembered saying that specifically to me, but it's like, she knew what it was. I didn't say what it was. It freaked me out. And I was terrified to open my eyes. And from that moment on, anytime I was asleep, when I would wake up, I would kind of like peek my eyes open a little bit because I was always afraid to just open them. because I was convinced it was going to come back and like, be there again. That was probably the only physical manifestation I've ever seen. But it was not clear. Like I couldn't tell you what facial features, if any, it had, but it was it was a face, but yeah. I don't know what kind of face.
0: Right. So just to clarify, your bed was out from the wall. So there was a space between your head and the wardrobe. You could walk behind it.
2: Uh my bed there was like it was just a wall there were two doors and there was a wall and my bed was along that wall between the two doors. So the head of my bed was like right there at the door to the closet. Oh,
0: got you, got you, got you. I, I kind of had in my mind's eye that you, your bed was kind of in the center of the room somewhere. and it was. Uh-huh. So I was just clarifying that because if I <laughs> thought that my listeners might have had that same idea as well. Uh, okay. So that would have been pretty terrifying to see. And, and, Apart from the shock value, you obviously felt fear
2: from it. I definitely did. I I was scared to open my eyes again. I was scared to get out of bed. My girl was like, You just got to do it. It wasn't like this long conversation that her and I had about it. It was just, she was just kind of like, Close your eyes. It'll go away. We got to go to school.
0: (laughs) Right. So you don't know if your grandmother actually saw it either.
2: I don't know. And, you know, even after all these interviews, I still have never asked her if she ever saw that, um, if she even remembered that. I don't know. I'm sure she probably watched my interview, but I don't know if she ever.
1: Did it appear in any sort of um, full apparition, or was just like cloaked figure that you would say?
3: Uh, It was always kind of a cloaked figure, I think. Um, It didn't really, it just kind of stayed... Kind of, you could say at a distance, it never really got close or anything, but it was definitely there just kind of watching just to, I always felt like it was just kind of affirming itself kind of showing you that it really kind of was there.
1: Now, did you get any indication that it was either male or female?
3: I never got any indication. I never considered it male or female. To be honest, I never really put a... Gender to it.
1: Did you put any sort, do you think it was human in nature?
3: I never thought it was human. Whatever happened there, I don't think it was human.
0: Wow, interesting. Oh, That's really interesting. So, so that was your first experience. And then how did it progress from there for you? And, of course, at that time also you're processing your mother's death so you had a lot going on for you at that point in time. And so these experiences would have compounded everything for you. And it must've been just such a tough time, such a tough time.
2: um it, it was very difficult, but in my child mind, I never equated the two to being like the same experience or right. related to each other. Right. Um, probably at least a prominent experience and I've talked to Sean about it and we have a hard time of placing whether it happened before I moved in or after I moved in was the um, experience I had in the third floor attic. Um, At the time, at least at the time that it happened, my grandmother loves to sew. She has a sewing room. She makes all these great things and it was on the third floor of our house. and so there was one t- occasion where she was on the first floor and she needed something. And she's like, well, it's, it's upstairs in my sewing room. And she had me go get it. And I was like, I don't want to go get it, but I went to go get it. Cause she told me to. Yeah. So I just run upstairs. I get all the way up. I mean, I mean it's a couple flights of stairs. I get upstairs too. It was in the front room, the room that we affectionately call the hellhole, hole. Mm. And, As you walk in, it's a really small room. You have to go like around the door and behind the door is a closet. So I'm going around the closet. I'm looking for this thing that she wants and the closet, because it goes, it's at the attic, it kind of goes down the side. So if you walk into the closet, you're looking at the back wall and to the left, it goes down into the attic. Right, Right. So I'm looking straight ahead, looking through her stuff and I hear this noise out of my left ear. And so I like, I look over, and all I see are these red eyes, like probably a foot away from me. And all I hear is hissing and red eyes. And I just freeze. And I'm like, what is going on? Like, what? Like, you can't figure out what it is. All I see is eyes. I don't see like a figure nothing. So I just like back out of the room without taking my eyes off the closet and just book it downstairs. Didn't go downstairs and tell my grandmother I saw something. I was like, you have to go get it yourself. <laughs> Wow. I didn't say girl and there was something up there I said you have to go get it I'm not going back up there ever again
0: <laughs> wow so you just saw these red eyes you didn't see blackness just the red eyes wow that would have been really terrifying and and of course that was meant to scare you mm-hmm. that was the intent of the entity was to scare you yeah how,
2: how, how horrible was that I mean, that was that was probably the scariest event I had. And I guess as I got older and got more accustomed to things, I just was kind of like, you're not really going to scare me anymore. Really? Because after going forward, as I got older and the longer I lived there, things didn't scare me as much. Like it wasn't a jump factor. It was just kind of like, whatever, like, we went Well,
0: that's pretty impressive. And of course, you probably got a lot of the attitude of your grandmother the way she handled it as well and you know she did a really amazing job amazing job of of dealing with it. of course she had no option but to deal with it because financially they were they were stuck and so what do you do you make the most of your situation and I think the feeling that I get is that her attitude really made a difference to how you dealt with it as well
2: Mm -hmm. I definitely think so yeah
0: so, what other experiences happened to you? Like, you saw the red eyes, mm-hmm. you saw the face over you. What other sort of things? Like, what were the day to day things that happened?
2: Um, I mean, day to day things would be things as simple as you set something down and you walk away and it's gone, or right. uh, you are going from one room to the other and like doors are like kind of open and closed, like those kind of things where you're like, ah, maybe it's happening, maybe it's not happening, where you can kind of negotiate with yourself whether it's real or it's not. Right. You're like, oh, the window must be open or something, or, you know, it's not as prominent as some other things. But as the, I want to say, into the late 90s, as everybody started moving around in the house to different rooms, people were living in different places in the house. Things started progressing at least to the point of, it was a regular occurrence to hear like the furniture moving in the house, and you would be like, "What is going on?" You go out and check, nobody's there, the furniture's all in the spot that it was. You're like, "I know that that like it couldn't be anything else except for furniture moving."
1: Now, did you ever actually see furniture move or just hear it?
3: I saw paper move. I never actually saw furniture move. I heard it move.
1: Okay, now let's go. Let's go back to something that's um. Part of the family lore is now, now furniture did physically actually move in your room. Yes. Can you tell us tell us tell us that story? Uh,
3: Joe and myself. Wisconsins No. It may have just been Joe and myself. Um, Baltimore didn't have an NFL team at the time, so we would always just watch whatever games were on. For, we always got the AFC games. We were watching it, I don't know, whatever the big teams were at the time. I think it was Buffalo playing somebody else. It probably was. They went to the Super Bowl all those years. Anyway, we were watching it, and my father was always watching downstairs. Joe and I both went running downstairs to say something about the game. We knew he was watching it, big play or whatever. As soon as we got down to the bottom of the steps, boom! I mean, just a crash was heard upstairs. So we all kind of stopped, you know, talking about whatever it was, we were, the football game or whatever. And Joe and I went back upstairs and we couldn't get my door open and we couldn't figure out what was going on. And we kind of went out the window in daddy's bedroom and went around the roof, opened up the window of my bedroom and went in and the weight bench, which was kind of, you know, next to the door but the weight bench the weights the bars and all that had fallen into the door and were barricaded in a way so that when you like when you put a chair behind the doorknob so that they can't open the door like it was all placed in a way it was wedged in place yeah i don't see how that could have fallen like that um that was the most i would say memorable time that that happened um I mean, the, there were times that, like, the dresser would move. You'd go upstairs, the dresser would be away from the wall. You would hear things like, stop. You'd go up there and look, and, yeah, sure enough, the dresser had moved away. Or the, the – back then, you had big, giant tube TVs, and I always had a big TV. So that stand with the television on it was probably 200 pounds or something. Yeah, you know, it had slid away from the wall or something. Okay. You know, like, it took two of us to move it back, you know. But yeah, no, that one time with the weight bench, I guarantee you, to joke and Joe would verify that. Um, yes, he actually he was talking about that on um, with me on Facebook about that. I remember we looked at Daddy, and Daddy was like, ah. "Did he go up?" No, he didn't go. He, you know, I mean, it was just a big play or whatever in the game. So I'm sure he was much more concerned about that. <laughs> so,
2: as I moved out of the larger room with my grandmother, I moved into one of the front rooms. And so this room was at the very top of the steps Um, and the house is old. It had all the original doors. So none of the doors would actually close all the way in the house. Um, That particular room, the door, even when it was closed, you could probably still see like an inch around the door. You could see the light on the other side of the door. My grandmother always kept this light at the bottom of the steps on. And so as I'd be in my room doing whatnot, because it was just, it was a given that if you were in your room, the door was closed and it was probably locked because you didn't want to leave it open and let, I don't know, whatever could happen. Right, in. right. It was like a safety barrier. So I'd be sitting in my room doing whatnot. And it was a pretty regular occurrence to see like shadows come across the doorway. Like, cause the light would actually be blocked out. And then it would be back. And you're like, you're like, maybe, maybe I had moved the wrong way. So you would start moving to see if like, right. maybe I just leaned a little too much. And you're just like, I'm, it's not in my room. I don't care.
1: <laughs> hey, do you mind if I jump in and ask Nat something? Um, yeah, please do. So, but Nat, you were also one of the people it actually spoke to on a semi-regular
2: oh. basis. Oh, thank you. This is true. I wouldn't say, like, we didn't have conversations, but it often called my name. Um, but it would sound like my grandmother all the time. Right. So she would either be at the grocery store, or she'd go away for the weekends, and I would—I like—I was at school or at work and didn't know. And I would hear her calling me all the time, but she wouldn't be there. Right. So Those—I mean—that was like a regular occurrence.
1: And Marianne, here's um, sorry. I was going to say here's something interesting because we were trying to consider this within the family itself. It would use, it would use my mother's voice, and I think you heard in my mother's interview that it used other voices as well. Yes. But it always used my mother's voice with Natalie. And when I was talking to Natalie in the interview, she said, "said You would think that if it wanted to freak me out, it would have talked in my mother's voice." Yes. So
0: we yes, were. I remember de-
1: hearing that. Yeah, so we were debating that within the family, and I think my mother had the explanation: is even though this thing was definitely malevolent. You know, um, I think, you know, my mother's explanation was it probably spoke in her voice because it wanted you to interact with it. If it spoke in the voice of someone who had died, you would definitely know it wasn't that, you know. And I do think that the more you interacted with this thing in the house, the more you strengthened it. So at least that's at least that's my theory. You know, so I may want to talk more about that, and also, Nat didn't didn't he used to get in bed with you too, so um, I'll also.
2: <laughs> Great segue. Great. <laughs> <So, laughs> oh, well, I guess we're going to talk about that one. <laughs> so there was oftentimes, I mean, if you were to look it up now, they would call it, I guess, night terrors or there's some name that they call it and I've watched all the stuff and I'm like, I don't know that that was the same thing, but there were often times where you would be laying in bed, whether you're laying on your side or your back or your stomach, and you would feel like just, you know how somebody gets in bed next to you, Mm you feel all the pressure moving and you would feel that. And then you would feel like it would feel like something was like hugging, like spooning you. It's like, don't spoon me, dude. (laughs) Like whatever it is, just get off of me. And you would just freeze you're like do I get up and like scream or do I just sit here and just let it happen I'm like you don't know yeah there were yeah. often times I would get up and be like I don't know what's going on you need to get out of my room yeah yeah that's that's
0: um so the technical term for that um for uh, is incubus and succubus that's when spirit uh can or entities physically interact with humans on uh, a personal level like that like touching you inappropriately or trying to spoon you stuff like that and that's very real I did an episode on it called dinkibus and succubus and it's terrifying absolutely terrifying and you must have felt violated
2: yeah it's it's like how do you put it into words because there's not like an actual person there like you're afraid to go talk to anybody because you're like they're gonna think I'm crazy. They're gonna give me meds or whatnot. But yeah, that, I mean that would happen. I it, I always had my TV on when I was in my room at night because you know you don't want to be in the dark. Right. I know that my uncle used to my uncle my younger uncle used to do that too all the time. It's like you had to have something there to kind of give you some security. Um. One of the incident incidences that I did not talk about when. I was in that room with my grandmother. Um, at some point, my grandmother had moved to a different room, and I stayed in that larger room by myself. And so, um, when I did, I moved my bed because I didn't want it between that closet. I wanted to be as far away <laughs> from that closet as I could. So, it was across the room, and there was a morning when I needed to get up for school. And so, it just so happened I forgot to turn my alarm on that day. And probably about 5.45, 6 o'clock in the morning, uh, my door, someone starts banging on my bedroom door, like, bam, 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 bam. And as I stated before, the doors are old. So this room, we had like one of those eye hooks. I'm not right. sure what kind of locks you come. So we had those to keep, just to keep the door closed. And the door would still hang open in it. But it could rock back and forth. And the door was rocking back and forth. And I was like, it's going to come off the hinges. And at the time, my other uncle, uh, I don't, I guess Sean has told you, he was, he had mental issues. Yes. And so I totally thought it was him. I was uh-huh. like, he's having an episode that door is going to come off the hinge. She's going to come in here. I don't know what's going to happen. Bam, 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 rocking on the door. So I just go up to the door and I put my hands on it. I'm like, please don't let this door open. I'm not prepared to deal with my uncle. I was like, my grandmother's going to hear this any minute. She's going to be out here. She's going to hear it any minute. And she was just in the next room over in the hallway and she heard absolutely nothing. And so I'm just standing there and I'm like, I know she's going to wake up. I know she's going to hear this because she sleeps as light as a feather. Right. And she didn't wake up and it just stopped because I was just sitting there like, please stop, please stop, please stop. And it just stopped and it was dead silence in our house and the house is old. You could hear people walking all over the place and I'm like, okay, I'm going to sit here and I am going to wait. Because I know I'm going to hear some creaking on the floor. Somebody's going to be walking away from this door. Yeah. Nothing. And that light that I told you she had at the bottom of the steps, I could not see that at all. So I'm like, like, that's like creepy. (laughs) No, I don't want to, like, that means somebody's there. So I'm just sitting there and I'm like, I slid something behind the door and I turned on all the lights and I'm like, I, I guess I have to open the door because my grandmother's not getting up. So at this point, you know, I'm still thinking it's my uncle. So yeah. who knows what could have happened. And so I just will myself to open the door and there's nobody there. I walk out into the hallway. Nobody's there. I go into the bathroom. I check the closet in the bathroom. There is not a single person there. I go knock on my grandmother's door to make sure like, and she's never even heard anything.
0: Wow. How terrified! What a brave kid you were.
2: I don't know if it's brave or stupid. No.
0: Because that, I,
2: I, I, that could have
0: been dangerous. It could have been, but I mean, just even even the guts it took to open that door and to check around, you know, absolutely incredible, incredible, and and of course, who could you talk to about these things apart from family? Because nobody would believe you.
2: Nobody would believe you, especially knowing our family already had mental health like issues within our family. Who are you going to talk to about that?
0: yeah yeah and that would have put extra pressure on everybody actually because of it so did you guys ever sit down and talk about what was happening in the house
2: Matt it was not until probably just in the last couple years um I my younger uncle John and I because we shared the same room well we didn't share the room together we had we each lived in that room and we have just like Things happened and I'd be like you already have this hat and he'd be like yeah but we never actually like sat down and talked about it uh, some oftentimes it was usually through like his friends or people that would come to visit us because they would have some kind of weird experience and they'd be like what is going on in your house
0: <laughs> oh really so friends experienced it as well yeah it wasn't just you guys oh that's really interesting so so it was just a whole pile of things, one after the other, one after the other, pretty much. Mm-hmm. And and this this continued on until you left the house.
2: Um, yes, yeah, so I moved out in 2005. I moved out, um, and that was after my grandfather had died. And I remember I was I I don't know if Sean had this on film or not, but. Closer to my grandfather's death, he never would come upstairs. His bedroom remained on the first floor. Right. Um, and he would slow. he started coming upstairs and he would not come upstairs to the second floor. He was going all the way up to the attic. And at the time, Sean didn't live up there. Nobody lived up there. There was nothing up there. My grandma had went and cleaned out the whole attic and stuff because it was just, there was just a bunch of stuff stored up there. Right. And she's like, enough, let's clean it out. So he would go wander up there and I was like why is he going up like there's nothing up there and he never had a room up there or anything and he would go up there and just start talking to people and I would creep up to the attic door to kind of like feel like who's he talking like what's going on what's he doing yeah. and I tried to creep up a couple of times and he actually did like scream it like he was like don't you come up here I was like how would you even know what's coming up here like Because you know how you are when you're younger. You figure out how to walk around the house and how people hear you. Yeah, you (laughs) do. I'm like, I'm going to creep up here. And I don't know how he knew I was coming up there. but. Uh, Marianne, I want to
1: add that um, I think um, this story, which I didn't hear about until um, I interviewed Natalie just like two years ago, right around the time I finished my book, I really found this extremely um, disturbing because my father was a skeptic. You know, my father was a computer scientist, very intelligent man. And when we first had the real serious haunting, I, you know, invited him to, we only had a couple meetings, family meetings about it before we stopped. And I invited my father and he just like looked at me like I was crazy. And my mother attributes the fact that he was working so much that he wasn't home that much. But um, in the end, this room that she was going up to, Nat didn't say it, it was the front room that we called the hell room which was like the source of the most aggressive behavior. And uh, my father was also a drinker and, you know, I can't blame him after losing two children to suicide, you know, but um, him going up there and talking to something in that room, I, I, you know, I just found, you know, when he was like sick and in a weakened state, just very disturbing. And my other uh, younger brother, John, who was also at the house late with Natalie, my youngest brother—that's when she's talking about my youngest uncle. You know, he would hear my father talking to something too. So it's uh-huh. interesting that my father, who was the skeptic, was like—and um, this wasn't like alcoholic rambling, because we all knew what that was. You know? Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. But
1: this—this this was like something, and he would always be quiet if anyone came close. So it was—it was a situation which. Um, which I, I personally found very disturbing, you know, yes. as well. So I just, I just, you know, wanted, wanted to throw that in.
0: That would be incredibly disturbing. Well, one, who is he talking to? And what is it that they're wanting from him? And are they feeding his behaviour patterns?
1: Well, I do want to add that because, you know, as you know, and I don't know whether you're cutting this in with the previous interview, is that we lost two... Um, I lost two siblings to suicide mm-hmm. and I often call my father the third suicide yes. you know, because, um, he essentially was drinking himself to death. Though he kind of got stopped drinking a little at the end. So in a way I, I considered him the third suicide and I just think something, something dark was feeding on us in that house, you know, and I, I yeah. attempted suicide there. My sister Jeannie also attempted suicide in wow. that house. So, I mean, there was, um, you know, it's not a coincidence. We're not all crazy, and uh, yeah. well, maybe me, maybe not. <laughs> I don't know, but um, well, I just think, and I always say that there wasn't one haunting at the house. It was like seven hauntings because it interacted with each of us differently, and yes. it interacted mm-hmm. in a way which made us unwilling to talk to others about it.
0: Of uh, course, cool. oh. you know, you know and, isn't that sorry, sorry? Isn't that isn't that a classic abuser? scenario isolate the victim
1: yeah I, I i felt very isolated i really didn't discuss it with any when when my sister Jeannie had her incident in the hell room with her um, husband before she moved out she said we have to talk about this and we had a couple of meetings but after that we didn't talk about it again until essentially in a systematic way until about two years ago so um right. so but yeah i think i think it, It was it. It was an attack, and it was, I think, mainly spiritual and psychological. Oh, absolutely. um, And I really think it was, you know, it was feeding off of us. I. What do you Mm. think, Natalie?
2: Mm. Oh, without a doubt. I mean, after even after I had moved out, uh, it was many years before I even felt like normal. Wow. Um, Even just being in. house. It's not haunted. Yeah. It was just a weird feeling. Um, and I, even after I moved out, there were still, I still kind of felt connected to like, I guess like the spiritual realm, like right. I would go places and I could still experience like feelings of there's something here too. Mm-hmm. Um, and one incident that I'd haven't told Sean yet is, um, after I had moved out, it was probably a year later, I was sleeping in bed. um, And at the time I was with my fiance, we were living in a different state. I was sleeping in bed and my bedroom door was partially open. And I woke up in the middle of the night to all these people talking to me. It was like all these people were at the door just talking to me. And I rolled over and I said to him, I said, go close the damn door because I'm tired of them talking to me. It's like, they can go. He got up and closed the door and they all shut up and left.
0: (laughs) That's interesting. That's interesting, so do you feel that and have you had any like spiritual experiences since then?
2: Definitely, okay, that's definitely what, that's
0: what I felt so so your experiences in in the house actually opened this aspect of yourself uh, perhaps um, that may not have opened as fully as it had had you not had those experiences.
2: I, I think so, because I think you have, once you experience it, you kind of know what it is that you're like, you recognize it, I guess, yes. in a way. Yes. I mean, there were times back when I was, I had my first marriage, we were looking at houses and we would walk into houses. I'd be like, absolutely not. This house is not on the list. Take it off. And he'd be like, why? I'd be like, I'm not going to tell you why. We're just saying. <laughs> yeah. This yeah. House.
0: So you so. would feel, you'd feel the energy of the place. Mm-hmm. and because you've experienced it before you recognized it right yeah right yeah so that's quite handy actually isn't it sometimes <laughs> yeah yeah so what was the final experience that happened before you moved out
2: um it's hard to say which one would be the final experience Probably the recording of the EVPs was close to the, one of the final experiences because at that point I was like, I'm tired of living like this. I want to get to the bottom of it. I need to tell you where to go. Cause you're living, you're messing up my life. Like I was at that point, right. <laughs> you know, just drowned out from all the, just being on edge all the time. So um, this was, this was, This had to have been after my grandfather died because it was only me and my grandmother and my uncle John that lived in the house. And Mm so we would sometimes go to my aunt's house for dinner, my grandmother and I, and I was like, you know what? Today is the day we're going to do it. I had got like this little old recorder, you know, one of those big old things that's really loud when you record. I was like, this is what I'm going to use. I got a tape. I got like a 90 minute tape. My grandmother went to my aunt's house. I said, Oh, I'll meet you there. I was like I had a plan I'm gonna right. take I'm, like, I'm gonna record this I watched the ghost hunters I had the whole thing down uh, my uncle wasn't home I was like it's perfect conditions it's night there's not a lot of traffic nobody's home good deal so I ran upstairs I put that recorder down I was like peace out ghost I'm gonna get you today and then I went <laughs> to my aunt's house for dinner and the whole time I was like I wonder if the recording's done a couple of a time. I'm like wonder if it's done and it was done but it was dark so I was like, I have to get home. I have to see if there's something on this tape. And it was dark when I got home. And I was like, oh, do I have to? I sat there. I was like, do I have to listen to it tonight? Like, is it a big deal for me to go get this? Can I wait until the morning? Yeah. You know, you do something like that. You have to like. Yeah, yeah. I was like, grab the recorder. I was like, oh, please don't follow me downstairs. I'm li- I put it on my stereo. Like, you know, those big stereos that had like the big speakers. I had yeah. them all over my room. Turned it up all the way. And I'm just sitting there doing my thing. And all of a sudden, I hear, like, noises on there of, like, people moaning and stuff. And I was like, what? At the time, then my Uncle John was home. Because this, this had been a couple hours later. I run downstairs, like, John, you got to come up here and listen to this. He's like, what? I was like, you just have to listen. Tell me what you think this is. So he comes upstairs. And he's like, what is this? I was like, this is recorded in the attic. And he was like, don't tell my mother you did that. He's like, she's going to be so good. <laughs> But it was like, it was a good couple minutes. Sean has it posted, I think, on his blog of what the actual EVP sounds like.
0: Oh D- it's D- obviously,
2: it's really like, it needs to be like cleaned up because the the sound of the rec- cassette recorder is really loud on it, but you can right. still hear the noises behind
1: yeah, it. Yeah, I'll, I'll send you a link to it. Um, it's really only a minute of the recording. Or I think, yeah, I think it's about a minute. You know, we once we, like, the tape itself was kind of a pariah. I know that she took it over to my aunt's house and played it for my nieces, and one of them went running from the house and she couldn't play it. She brought it over to my house with my where my where I'm here with my wife Debbie, and we only got a couple minutes into it till Debbie made us turn it off. And um, it ended up when it moved, uh, my grand you know my mother her grandmother was very upset that Deb- that that um, Matt had gone up and recorded this because. She was under the impression any attempt to communicate with it strengthened it. You know, certainly didn't right. want to do that. And um, right. and for this, I was trying to find the original tape, because this was like a recording of a recording, and it's only a snippet of it. Right. And apparently it was at my grandmother's house in a box in her garage, and not this Christmas, but last Christmas, you know, my other nieces, they, they looked for it because they thought they were the ones who put it out there. And we couldn't find it so we don't have the whole tape but i will send you um this little snippet we have of it and feel free to use it if you yeah. want
2: and, so uh, it's still it's got so much background noise but i mean this was a completely empty room so all any sounds on it you're like i don't know where they came from <laughs> how cool is that but my grandmother was very mad that I did it oh I can I can imagine mad at me for a while yeah she was like why did you go everything was calming down I was like you know I'm not the one that's going to make anything happen I mean it's just gonna it's gonna do what it wants to do
0: yeah exactly exactly and so when you finally left the, the home for good did you feel like a weight had been taken off you did you feel liberated or like something was missing
2: it was like I still felt like something was watching me all the time um because one of the things that you always felt like in the house is that something was constantly watching you like all the time right uh, so that feeling just it took a long time for that feeling to ever go away and every now and then I have that feeling I'm like look I'm not playing these if, if that's not something good you got to get out of my house
0: oh good for you good for you yeah it's that it's <laughs> a feeling of not being safe isn't it that that feeling of being watched well which of course you were in that house by these entities
2: yeah it's like the watched or like something's going to jump out all the time you just like like, you feel like you're anticipating, like, something's going to happen, you know?
0: I know. John, I never felt safe when it was around at all. There was no way to get away from it. I mean, you would be so scared that there wasn't much you could do, like you see it in the movies, when people get so frightened and they freeze, you know? And it's kind of, you know, fight, flight, all freeze. Right absolutely unsafe feelings so I totally I totally get that and you would have felt on each the whole time even if you weren't consciously aware of it in that home knowing that something could happen at any time it would be like living in a war zone for all of you really
2: I mean it really like the day-to-day you kind of just get used to but once you leave and you go to a place that's, that doesn't have those experiences, you're kind of like, what did I live through? Yeah, yeah. Like, how did I get through it? Exactly. And uh, I, there was a couple years ago that um, the house was for sale and Sean was like, Oh, let's go look at it. I was like, absolutely not. Like, I'm not, I'll see it from a distance. That's all I want to do because it was just, even sometimes I, when I go home, I drive by that house or, I'm just like I wonder. I wonder, like, do I still feel that way? And just driving by it, mm. I'm like, I, I know it sees me. I'm like, I know. Let's keep pedals to the metal, going. <laughs> right,
0: right. Recognizes your energy. Yeah, yeah. And of course, there's always the possibility that if
2: you went back, you could
0: take it with you.
2: Yes. It- Which my husband now, anytime my grandmother gives me anything, he's like, "Was this from her old house?" Oh, wow like we're not no wow
0: marianne
1: i just want to say that um what i call it's interesting because there's like different periods for different people but in the late 80s at the height of the like haunting the poltergeist you know when it was seemed to be at least more active um i remember i i would i was single and sometimes co-workers would have me house sit for and I remember, you know, I had to house sit at this row house in Baltimore. It was like a townhouse. And I got there. I spent there for like three nights. And it was really weird the first night. And I couldn't figure out what it was until, uh, until the second day. And I'm like, what? because this house felt so weird. And what it was was it was just clean. Right. The there was, you know, the darkness wasn't there. And it was just so, you know, you get so used to that spirit of oppressiveness that, you know, that darkness in that house, you know, you, do, you know, it's, it's like the air you breathe and you mm-hmm. don't see the air you breathe. And, but when I was at that other house, it was, um, it was, it was really, um, it was really different. And, um, it was noticeably different to be in a house, not like that one.
0: Well, wow. you know,
1: I, I think I told you that in the first interview that eventually I was troubled less by it because through prayer, You know, I was able to seal it out of my room, the uh, back Mm -hmm. attic bedroom. But um, and I hate to say that, you know, I you know, it's since it wasn't bothering me, I didn't take an interest in it elsewhere in the family. Yeah. So for me, like the haunting was essentially over other than one big showy event right before I left. But, um, you know, it was still it was still bothering other people. It just um, wasn't. You know, openly bothering me anymore. So
0: right. What was the show event before you left?
1: Um, it's funny. It was a, an event just like um, similar to one Natalie discussed, and my brother Mark would tell you of another one that that these were not the same event. Was well, Natalie heard this as well? It was literally my last day of um, of living in the house. I was moving out to the house I live in now, and um, you know, I'm on the third floor. It's It's the morning and um, there's this banging and I knew the banging was from the second, there's a doorway that leads up to the third floor. There's a doorway, a stairs, a landing, and another longer stairs that lead to two bedrooms on the um, third floor.
0: Right.
1: And there was this incredibly loud, fast banging, horrifying banging on the um, bottom attic door. And I, I know they heard it because usually things happen to people isolated at the house. Yeah, but right. in this case, you know, um, and I heard my mother yelling to Natalie, like, Natalie, stop that banging. And Natalie going, Grandma, it's not me. And um, I got just chills just remembering that. And, wow. um, and so, but that was sort of, you know, I, I joke about it. I said, that's his way of saying, Goodbye, kill you later, and um, but it was it was really terrifying. And yeah. my brother had another experience, um, and I when he started telling it because he had never told it to me before, I thought it was um, the same one. He's like, no, you were gone by then, and in that case, there were one, two, three, four, I think six doors, six doorways on that um, mm-hmm. downstairs in that corridor on the uh, second floor. And he said it it was something was banging on all of them, you know, and um, he said it was like the most frightening thing he experienced and he experienced some stuff at that house too.
3: Natalie was in, we say the master bedroom, the room with the sun porch. So that's the master bedroom. Mom was either upstairs in the front room or in the bathroom. And I was in that bedroom still and all the doors started banging. And I mean, if you had 10 people banging on the door, you couldn't have banged as hard and as fast as the knocks were coming on the door. And it sounded like all the doors on that landing, which there were, what, one, two, three, four, five, six doors, were all just, I mean, banging in the hinges and the hinges. It woke me up in the morning. Natalie was screaming, and Mom was saying, Nat, don't open the door. And she, I mean, that's what I remember hearing. "Ah!" I mean, banging it like... It's, I, I can't describe that type of banging on the I doors. I think that
1: was the same incident that I had. It was my no, last. My I had an incident like that was my last day at the house, and it
3: it went on for a good maybe ten seconds at but least, probably longer. That wasn't,
1: the longer. That wasn't yeah. it. Wasn't
3: the exact same incident, I guarantee. No, I don't think you were there anymore. three at of this us. Point. Were I think only, you had moved it out. It was
2: only the three of Natalie, you, and I in the house at that time. Yeah,
3: but that was definitely uh, that was definitely one of the scarier things. Um, you, you would get bangs like that sometimes. Like, I was woken up by, like I'll say maniacal banging on the door a couple times, but that time stands out because it went on like I say, probably for 10 seconds and when something like that is banging at your door, 10 seconds is a long time. Okay, that is, I mean, if you can count to 10 seconds and imagine you know, the sound of a dozen maniacs trying to break your door down. As you wake up out of bed, that's terrifying.
1: But, um, yeah, so that was like my last day, and it was sort of like a showy event, you know. Normally it's a little – the entity could be a little more subtle than that. I think it was most damaging, actually, when it was subtle because you couldn't couldn't see what it was doing to you. Right,
0: right, right. And that affected you more mentally. Yeah. Yeah it was definitely an entity from what I've heard that liked to play mind games, like to get into your mind and create these terrors for you that made you question yourself, made you question your sanity, uh, made you question what you're experiencing. Was it real? Wasn't it real? Is that how you found it, Nat? Yeah.
2: Absolutely. I mean, you're really like there's no way I'm experiencing this and like I said before you would kind of be like oh well it had to be a window or you know you try to rational it out to be something yeah like it can't be what you what you actually think it is.
0: right right because that doesn't fit that doesn't fit in what is the paradigm of belief yeah it doesn't fit into reality yeah yeah so looking back now as an adult, as a mature woman and a mom yourself, how do you feel about the whole experience?
2: I don't know how I survived the whole experience. Yeah. <laughs> and you know, it makes me a little more sensitive to, I mean, it's natural for kids to have like nightmares and to think that there's ghosts in their room and stuff. But like for my kids, I'm like, what do you say that? Like right. I question a little bit more because I know that I experienced some crazy stuff right. when I was little. So I'm like, it's better not be coming back. Yeah, yeah. Let me find out. <laughs> I, guess,
0: I guess there's always that fear in the back of your mind, isn't there, after living through something like this? What if? What if?
2: Yeah. I, I, it's just, personally,
0: though, I think you're pretty safe it's attached to the house and the land, not to you.
2: I, I absolutely think so. Mm. Mm. Can I ask you, that? so how do you think
1: this affected your faith, Nat?
2: Oh, good good. Christian.
1: That was actually my (laughs) wife's question. She Um, asked me while I was on the.
2: Yeah. I think uh, it actually helped my faith, and a lot of people would disagree with that. And I know that I've talked to a lot of people that think that I shouldn't say that this stuff was okay, but uh, the way I look at it is the Bible talks all about angels and demons. So if you don't believe in demons and I don't know how you believe in angels and believe in God because they kind of both are all throughout the Bible so I think it just helped my faith it helped me believe in God a whole lot more because I feel like I experienced evil way more than most people would have right
0: so that affirmed your belief in in God and that's cool whatever helps you and and helps your faith and and whatever you believe and that's a positive thing a post. So positive things have come out of the negative experiences for you. Absolutely, yeah.
2: yes. Yeah.
0: There was, hope, that was a good question, Sean. Thank you.
1: Yeah, I also hope that something, I mean, I I wrote my novel Chapel Street to sort, of, right. to sort of like work away through my feelings for this before we could deal with it, reality. And I've been starting these blogs and what I'm hoping for in the end is a real detailed examination of mm-hmm. what happened and mm-hmm. i'm hoping and maybe some of your listeners you know uh who can um really give i'm trying to give viewpoints ultimately once the entire document is done you know of the blogs of the actual haunting and i'm about a little less than halfway through i'm still going to deal with the haunting before i go to the to the deaths and yeah. to see if the deaths were um in any way influenced by the haunting but I'm really hoping that ultimately we'll create a document you know something that will be useful to other people in these circumstances one that our experiences will make their experiences more realistic and allow them to deal with it more directly but also we did a terrible job (laughs) you know what I mean I don't think I don't think we handled it as well as we could have you know, and maybe this thing was attached to this land in a way that we could have never expelled it. You know, maybe, yes. maybe yes. it yes. was, and we had no chance. But, you know, I'm hoping to get some ultimately when all the, when I've gathered all the data, I'm hoping that, you know, we can get some interesting analysis of what happened, what we were dealing with, and what would have been the best way to uh, deal with it. So I'm hoping that, um, I'm hoping that we will provide something. People are constantly, you know, people who read my first book are saying, are you going to write a book about the um, real haunting? And I'm like, mm. I'm like, I don't know, not yet, because um, I like a book with a happy ending and this doesn't mm. Really mm. have a happy ending. You know, yeah. we were too down when this was over. And, um, yeah. and I'm also, I don't want to be one of these kind of people that's like saying, My siblings killed themselves. My father sort of killed himself in his own way. And I'm just trying to find a supernatural explanation for it. You know, I'm not trying to invent something, you know, I'm not trying to make an excuse or anything, but I'm just, it's just, it seems like a um, intersection of a lot of stuff. And yeah. so. So, you know, I'm hoping that we'll have something, um, you know, positive in in the end as a result of everything.
0: And, and healing for you yeah. all as well. And I, and I think I kind of feel like talking about it, you know, the way you guys are doing it. And, and Sean, would you like to give your, your blog address again? So my listeners can, can check it out for themselves.
1: Okay. Yes. My uh, blog address is um, Sean Paul Murphyville. Dot And, um, you know, it's all things Sean Paul Murphy. And on there you will um, you could search or just type in the Google haunting of 21 St. Helens Avenue. Twenty-one or go to my blog spot and go into the search and type um, twenty-one St. Helens Avenue. I have about twenty-three blogs up there currently. COVID has stopped me. I, I really hope to have my entire factual examination of this done. But I have not conducted any, you know, really any interviews since we've gone on lockdown. I know in New Zealand, you've pretty much stopped the COVID there. So, um, yeah. So, but
2: if they go... It's interesting to say that he started, we started talking about this as a family Mm -hmm. after his book. Because he sent me a copy of it. He's like, you know, I want you to read it. I thought it was great. I was like, I have a question for you, though. And he's like, I was like, where... I said, where did you get the information about smelling this this smell when there's like a demon or something by? Uh. And he was like, he was like, I don't know. I just felt like I should write it. And I was like, well, it's it's kind of curious that you did Mm -hmm. because that's something I experienced, especially after my mom died. I smelled that for like a whole month. It was just a rotting, corpsey smell. It was like, it was like stuck in my nose. And so that's what Sean and I started talking about things that happened, And he's like, well, maybe we should all get together and start really talking about it. But I was like, that was, where did you get that from? Because like, that was a real experience. And he had no idea that I actually really experienced that until I was like, that's weird. Oh, well, there
0: you go. And you'll see that come out at the end. Now, one of the things that I have experienced, and I know from my own personal experience as as a medium is that, entities that are more negative do have an odor often it smells like cat pee or it can smell very rotten but it's an odor that they let off and they can't help it it's they can't disguise it yeah it's part of their energy vibration so the fact that you brought that up great point and and great that you obviously were listening to uh you're in annoying Sean when you wrote that. Well,
1: yeah, I'll say if you if you read my book Chapel Street on Amazon, Touchpoint Press. Um, pretty much every person in there is based on somebody real. It's really exaggerated. I mean, the book is really exaggerated. The end is really over the top. Nothing like what happened at the end of the book happened in real life. But the smaller things, the relationship things, Mm, mm. you know, the uh, character um, Lenny, and it's really, the book is really about two brothers. One, Rick, who is very much like me, (laughs) and another character, brother named Lenny, who is dead, Mm. who is very much like my brother, Mark. And I think anyone who reads that book who knew my brother, Mark, will definitely see my brother, Mark.
0: Yeah, yeah. It's a good book. a
1: A lot of the things in there. Oh, did you say it was a good book?
0: Yeah, it's a good did book. You? I really enjoyed it. I really enjoyed it. Well,
1: thank you very much.
0: And, and I was, as I was reading, it, I was thinking, oh, yeah, this would be a great movie. This would be a great movie. And actually, like the mausoleum stuff. That was very, very good. Very well. It's a great book, listeners. Uh, it, it is fiction. So it's not the story of the hauntings here at Chapel... At 21 at,
1: um, St. Helens Avenue.
0: Thank you. At 21 St. Helens Avenue but it is based on based on people. And it's really, it's a good book. Well, it's a good read.
1: Well, the main event of the book is the guy walking out on the balcony to kill himself um, every yes. night. And if you remember from my previous interview, that's inspired by the that's real thing right. when I was climbing out of that attic. I woke up every night, you know, at 3 a.m. climbing out of that attic window. You know, had I Oh, really? Know, yeah, I would hit my head because it was a wooden um, window frame. I'd either hit my nice. knee going out that window or hit my head on it, and it would wake me up. And that's how I knew what I was experiencing was real and wasn't just mental,
3: wow. you know. And I've
1: never slept walk. I haven't done it since. But, you know, it was either three nights in a row or five. I honestly can't remember. So, um, But I think it was more than three. And that's when I really got into prayer and tried to seal my room because that's like when you finally. Yeah. You know, it's a psychological attack, but it was really showing its yeah. hands there, and that's why Mm-mm-mm. that and an incident my brother had, where he was literally picked up and thrown.
3: I think the upstairs front bedroom, as we say, the hell room. Yeah, certainly uh, the center, maybe of it or whatever. Um,
1: there was a there was a
3: short period of time when I thought it would be fun to go up there, and I, you know took some stuff up there and tried to stay up there a couple of nights but I would always either end up on the couch or you know camped out back in the bedroom down there I mean like as a I don't know maybe what 12 14 you know teenager or whatever because it was a cool room it, it had the, the sloping ceilings you know and you had the great view of the street from up there you know and it was it was private it was away from the rest of the house for the most part you know I mean it was it was you know it was quiet up there. But, yeah, it was definitely creepy up there. I don't think I ever spent a whole night up there. Um, Both of those closets up there were terrifying. That little cubby hole was really scary. Um, Just the fact that, I mean, it was, I don't know, it was always just so dark in there in that little corner where the cubby was, and it had another weird cut up into the ceiling that just kind of made that really dark over there. Um, Yeah, and I I had a really probably the most realist experience I ever had in that house happened in that room. Um, There used to be, I'm I'm guessing this is before, it's probably right before Jeannie moved back because I'm guessing they probably would have redecorated it a little bit, but it was basically an empty room. Like I said, I had a little bit of handful of things up there. It was an empty room. It had been painted already because if you remember, it was painted all. You yeah. painted it with black lines, white, and then sprayed. Yeah, it, it was black white, and brown. then it was black all over, and it was like a zigzag, crazy pattern, whatever kind of random pattern on the wall. Um, it had already been painted. To gray. Yeah, it was gray with like gray uh, tones, like on the woodwork and stuff. And then there were you had the mirror in the center of the front wall. I mean, I'm sorry, you had a window, and you had mirrors on either side of the I window, that. and then. On the one side, you had photographs of old sports teams. Maybe it was Mark's, Mark's, Dougie's, Sean's, whatever. Um, Anyway, they were hanging up there. You know, and they were old, washed out, you know, photos. And I can specifically remember standing there looking. I don't know why I was up there, but I was up there. I was young. Like I said, it was probably, it it had to have been before Jeannie moved back. So I was probably 11 or 12. Maybe I was 13. I don't know. I was standing up there looking at the photos and I I was always trying to find, you know, whoever it was, you know, trying to find the person in the photo. It was a whole team of kids. And I remember almost getting like hypnotized by the photos, just kind of zoning out for a second and something, a hand on each shoulder lifted me and threw me into where the photos were on the wall, like off of my feet, boom, into the wall. And I remember coming off of it stunned, and I said, Sean, that's not funny, and quickly realized Sean wasn't there, nobody was there, um, obviously you weren't there, you would you know, probably remember responding to something like that, and I remember seeing, I remember it, it all clicked in my head that I could see the mirror, I could see the doorway of the hell room behind me into your room where your door was open, so Nobody came through that doorway because I would have seen it in the mirror. There was nobody in the room with me. Something definitely grabbed each side of my shoulders, lifted me, and threw me into the wall. Um, so that happened. I you know, I mean, I was probably I don't know at least 150 pounds or something. So it's not like I was light, and you know, I didn't I didn't stumble. Um, wind didn't do it. I don't know. I didn't slip, trip, fall. You know. So, it, that is the experience. A lot of the other stuff, maybe I could say it's mass hysteria. Maybe I could say, you know, yeah, everybody's crazy. Maybe I'm crazy too. You know, maybe it is a hallucination. Maybe it is a more natural explanation, which is something I've been always looking for, which helps to explain my belief or lack of, maybe you would say. But that one thing really stands out to me because there's, I, I can't explain that one.
1: But it made me think hmm. that, um, that you know, perhaps my sister and my brother, Mark, were influenced by this thing, you know, for itself. Yeah. Uh, because I if I had gone out that window, off that third floor, the right thing right out is like a flat roof for the sun porch. But it our, our house was on a hill, and there was a very deep drop. I would have been dead, and there would have been no one the only thing you could have thought was that I killed myself. There's like yeah. no other yeah. explanation for what would have happened. Someone woke up the next morning, looked out back and there's my body. You know, I killed myself. Wow. There's like no other explanation for what you wouldn't have thought anything else. You know, it wasn't like mm-hmm. I'd be out there mm-hmm. ch- sweeping the chimney or something, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So that's really mm-hmm. the mm-hmm. incident that fires the book. And like Betty, you know, the villain was based on a real fortune teller you know, as well, uh, that my uh, oh, right. that my sister, Natalie's mother, visited like three days before her death. And, um, uh, and I finally found out this week what Betty told her on that last visit. I had never discussed it with my mother because I knew my, aunt, I have an aunt that just died and I was hoping to talk to her about it because she drove out to Betty with my sister. But I discovered through one right. of my aunt's friends who died before I could talk to her about it that Laurie didn't tell her what Betty said. And it always bothered my aunt that she never asked, you know, especially since my sister killed herself so soon afterwards that she never asked what Betty had told her. But my, you know, I was discussing my death of my aunt and what I wanted to ask her. My mother said, Oh, I know what Betty told her. And I said, well, what did she tell her? She said, Laurie asked her what she saw in my future. And Betty said, I see
0: nothing. Uh...
1: Yeah. So, um, There it is. So I don't feel bad about making Betty the villain of my book anymore.
0: I I would have too. I would have too because, you know, you just don't say stuff like that. That's just not helpful. It's not uplifting. It's not helping the person. If you, sorry, I get so angry when I hear stuff like that. Sure. Well, if you
1: read my book, She's called Bad News Betty because, yeah, well she did, she gave people bad news. Because I talked to like another author with my publisher, Touchpoint Press, who lives in the same region, also visited her. And so it was interesting to hear her experiences. And, and Betty would tell people horrible things, but put it into context mm. that you could change it, you know, but this is what she saw. You know, so that's what she told. That's what she told my sister.
0: So, so then you question the source that she's getting her information from.
1: Yes, I do, and to me, that's another piece of evidence that makes me think that there was something spiritual about, you know, her death. Not
0: absolutely, yeah, absolutely, I agree.
1: So, what do you think of a medium that does something like that? I think. My mother, I think my sister was oh, in, look- in an emotionally distraught time. She was definitely visibly distraught in that period. Yeah.
2: Oh, absolutely. Yeah, was, uh, in fact, that course. day she got into a car accident earlier that day. Because I don't know how much of the story that, you know, she got into a car accident earlier that day. And my dad and I went to go pick her up. And I'm like a 12 year old girl at the time. My dad tells me, he has a pickup truck. He's like, stay in the car. I'm going to go take care of this. He has my mom get in the car. And I just remember sitting there. Like here it is, your mom got into an accident. Instead of being worried, I was terrified because it was like, I looked at her and I was like, Uh, she looked like, I mean, she looked like a demon. It did not look like her. She was just gray. And I just remember this smell. And then later that night, obviously she took her life. And then from uh, that moment for like a month, all I could smell was just this rotting, like terrible smell. But I was like, I knew that day, that that was not her. Like, I was, I was mm-hmm. like terrified as I'm like, I'm sitting in this car. I'm, like, I don't know who this is I'm sitting with, in this car, but it's not my mother. I can tell you that much. Oh, like,
0: oh I'm so sorry, Hannah i I'm so sorry. Oh, that's awful. So it, that is definitely, she's definitely been influenced. Definitely been influenced. Um, I can tell, yeah, straight away. Um, as far as your question goes, Sean, the crap. Yeah and their sources are they're not getting source information from positive uplifting genuine sources they're getting the information from sources that want people to uh, be miserable that want people to harm themselves that want people not to make any effort to look after themselves and improve their lives I as as a medium I take my role very very seriously it's a sacred trust and i never ever will look at a person or read a person without the explicit permission you just don't do it it's unethical i will I, and i have this thing with spirit i see I, I set boundaries with them really firm boundaries don't give me any information about people that's not helpful to them that's not going to be of positive benefit to them in their lives don't tell me things that they can't alter don't tell me things about their health unless something can be done to improve it so those are the guidelines I set with spirit so when I and I and I hardly ever do consultations these days because it just takes so much energy I'm really blunt with people I'll, I'll tell people what spirit tells them like I don't I don't Sugar coated. I'll say look, this and this and this is happening in your life because of this or this behavior, you need to perhaps look at the way you're doing this or the way, so it's like a positive thing so even if they're getting growled by whoever is in spirit they come away feeling uplifted and they come away knowing that they can make changes in their lives that will make a positive mm-hmm. difference to them you know and and people who who go to see mediums genuine mediums even if they even if their mother's talk like I remember one time I had a gentleman um come to see me and he was he was older than I am he would have been in his late 60s and his mum was like immediately right then she said tell him he's a bloody idiot and I said I can't say that to him I can't tell him that. She says, you tell him that he's a bloody idiot. And I looked at him and, and I said, look, um, your mum's asking me to tell you something and, and I apologise in advance, but these are her exact words. And he burst out crying straight away, burst out crying. And I felt so rotten because I never try to hurt people. Or, you know, I try to uplift comfort and comfort and, and give hope. And um after he finished crying, he said to me, thank you so much. I needed to hear that. That's exactly the words my mum would have said to me. Oh. 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 Yes. So I've learned like you have to have really firm boundaries. And like I run a Facebook group called Walking in the Shadowlands, from which the podcast started and in it I help people as much as I can like people come to me with their spiritual issues or spirit issues or just questions in general and I always try to be positive and I try to give them tools so that they can help themselves because people have people are so quick to give their power away to others and so I like even cleaning your house from energies you don't have to get somebody in to do that you can do that you don't have to give your power away it's all about intent intent is the key the absolute key and so that's how I work I I try to always be positive and even if they and I I will say them up front I'll say look you're not going to like to hear what I'm going to tell you but you need to hear this and I'll tell them straight up what spirit wants them to know because they need to hear that so they can make positive changes in their lives. I'm not a fortune teller; I call myself a spiritual counselor because I really just give people tools so they can make changes themselves. That's that's how I work anyway. But uh, your your negative your uh, bad news, Betty Yeah. No, they're not working with beings that come from the highest Mm -hmm. realms, for sure.
1: Yeah, well, my my mother made me feel, she's like, oh, she was such a nice lady, this and that. (laughs) And the other writer was making me feel guilty that I based the villain on her. But, um, because I thought she had said something else to my mother, which my mother said, no, Betty wasn't the one who said that. But then when I just heard this thing that she said to my sister, I'm like, any guilt I had about naming the character in the book Betty, it yeah. has been completely allevi- alienated.
0: Yeah, yeah, no. you No, no, no. You just don't do stuff. And, and of course, there are a lot of people out there who profess to have abilities, and they may have a little bit, but they don't have as much as they think they do or they don't get the information correctly, or they because it has to all filter through our own knowing and our own interpretation. So they put their own spin on it, or they, they say things that they think might be what the person wants to hear, but that's not genuine. You have to be genuine. You have to do it. And, and I hate these terms. I hate these terms of the passion, but you have to do it with love yeah. and with light. Well, thank
2: you. Oh, that's yeah. so sweet, and I hate um, this. Marianne. It's been a pleasure. Yeah it's been a pleasure listening to you and you certainly are a sweet sweet soul Aww, Yeah, you're the kind of
1: people you. we want to talk to oh, you know I'm what just, I mean and, and this, yeah.
2: I, oh my
0: gosh I'm on my well, just,
2: <laughs> you, you just have a, a way about you the gentleness and you know just sweet your spirit
1: is just so sweet
0: oh thank you
1: you know Marianne I, I don't want to keep you because I know but
2: have no, been like holding no. no. her up all that.
1: But you know, <laughs> yeah. I I often weighed this and I've asked this to my siblings and all about the things the things we would hear. I mean, obviously when that door's banging and other people mm. could hear it, it was audible. But I often wondered whether some of the sounds mm. and all we were hearing were actually real sounds or whether they were just things I was thinking I was hearing. But not that I don't believe they were any less it's- real. I just, whether these were like thoughts being implanted into my mind.
0: They were projected yeah. into your mind, yeah, yeah. When when it happened and there's this effect, and I forget what the name of it is now, um, but it's quite often like when when people have UFO encounters, it's it's oh, the Oz effect, that's what they call it. It's like there's this stillness around and and like in that stillness you can hear sounds, but anybody outside of that can't hear it. So there's questions of whether that's a uh interdimensional thing. They don't really know, but it's very real. So so the sounds that you hear that other people don't hear, there's two options. It could be uh projected into your mind from the spirit, it could be that Oz factor where you kind of like the energy surrounds you so that the sound yeah. doesn't change. Well that
1: is something that happened in the house a lot. Like being in a room becoming mm, mm. you know, even you screaming in a room and no one hearing you outside, like Nat's yeah. experience with the um, banging, not waking up her uh, yeah. grandmother. No. That was actually kind of common.
2: Yeah, or the deafening silence. Yeah,
0: it was always yeah. like the
2: preceptor to things was the deafening silence, really.
0: Like, yeah. Do you are you on social media like are, are you on Instagram, Sean or, or Twitter?
1: Yes, I'm I'm Sean Paul Murphy. At Instagram, I'm Sean Paul Murphy at Twitter, and I'm Sean Paul Murphy on Facebook, and I'm also Sean Paul Murphy on um, on uh, YouTube as well. I've been putting a lot of clips of the haunting interviews. I don't put any, um, I don't put the whole interviews up because, you know, there's some privacy yeah, issues. Yeah,
0: of course. Yeah. Oh, course. Cool.
1: So, But I Segments of
0: it. Thank you both so very much for your time again today, and Nat, thank you for coming and sharing your experiences. I know it was a pretty horrific time for you all over, not only with losing your mum, but having to deal with all this spiritual attack as well, and kudos to you for coming out as well balanced and your grandmother actually your grandmother has to take your grandmother has to take a lot of credit for this because she through her attitude and the way she dealt with it all made a huge difference to how you dealt with it.
2: absolutely thank you for having me
0: uh, I really appreciate your time thank you so much Nat and Sean thank you once again it's just been a tremendously interesting experience listening to both of you guys and I know how horrible it was for you all and I'm, I'm really grateful to you for sharing with me and with my listeners so thank you, thank you both well thank you I have enjoyed my time talking with Sean and his family both on and off-air. They are all very warm, loving and caring people who didn't hesitate to share their pain and journey with me, a complete stranger, even on the most sensitive subjects of the suicides. They virtually took me into their homes and shared openly with me about their terrifying and painful experiences. Talking with Clara, Sean, Jenny, Marion and Nat has given me a perspective on how one family was able to not only survive but thrive despite the devastating and traumatic suicides of Nat's mum, Laura and Mark. There are other family members that I've not spoken with, but they all have had their own experiences and encounters, with the exception of the oldest sibling, Douglas, or Dougie. He tells Sean that he never experienced anything in the house on St. Helens Avenue that Sean turned into his great fictional read, Chapel Street. If you want to know more about their experiences, then go and visit Sean's blog. There's a link to it from this episode's page on the podcast website, www.walkingtheshadowlands.com or simply visit seanpaulmurphyville.blogspot.com to read the written transcripts and watch other video clips from family members discussing their experiences. If you want to read the fictionalised novel of the events, Chapel Street, it can be found from all good book sites like Amazon, etc. Did you hear the EVP at around 55 to 56 minutes? Here is what I think it says. Anna. My son who studies and teaches te reo, the Māori language at a local high school, says that in the Māori language that the word Anna roughly means to be in agreement. So agreeing with what Nat is saying, although he and I do disagree on where the stress of the word falls. To me, I feel it falls at the beginning. He feels it's on the end, which of course would alter the meaning of the word. What did you hear? Email me at shadowlands at yahoo.com and let me know. And just a reminder, as I mentioned in the last episode, these two episodes were recorded on my old Mac before it died on me, so there is discrepancy in parts of the audio with some parts that were recorded after the interviews were completed. Check out our Facebook page, Walking the Shadowlands, our Instagram feed of the same name, and our Twitter feed, at Shadowlands10. Check us out on TikTok under Walking underscore, the underscore, Shadowlands. Like and follow for teasers of our upcoming episodes. If you enjoyed this episode, then please leave a positive rating, and don't be shy to leave a written review on your chosen podcasting platform, or on the podcast Facebook page, walking the shadowlands and of course so you don't miss out on any episode make sure you subscribe on your favorite podcasting platform this podcast is available on all free podcasting platforms including iHeartRadio and Pandora as well also if you have Alexa simply say these four words open walking the shadowlands and Alexa will play our latest episode for you if you don't have a smartphone then you can listen to the episodes from the podcast website, com. For those hearing impaired, there's a full written transcript of each episode on the website, so you don't miss out at all. Tell your friends, tell your family, tell your workmates about our show. Encourage them to listen and to subscribe also. The more, the merrier. Thanks for listening to this episode. Kakite ano, oia koi. I'll see you again.
1: Thanks for listening.